What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash baldhead Bible. And there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Lamentations 3, verses 52 through 54 say, For no reason my enemies hunted me like a bird. They smothered my life in a pit and threw stones on me. Water flooded over my head and I thought, I'm going to die. Then verse 55, I called on your name, Lord. From the depths of the pit, you heard my plea. Do not ignore my cry for relief. You came near whenever I called you. You said, do not be afraid. It was dark and damp. Very, very dark and damp. Jeremiah was standing in sticky mud that would stink and be full of various slimy creatures like those little centipedes or or maybe even some water-type insect. And it just would have made it impossible probably to sit down and definitely impossible to relax. And he was in the mud, probably up to his ankles. And and some people say even maybe up to his waist. And the worst part about it is he was probably slowly, slowly sinking further and further in. And what made it even worse, some people think that according to Lamentations chapter 3, people passing by would try to throw stones down at him. They would pass by the mouth of the cistern or or the pit Jeremiah was in and try to knock him down or to hurt him, to make him suffer and fall into the mud. And if they could knock him out, well, he, he might fall face down in that mud and suffocate to death. See, Jeremiah was in a pit. And when the mouth of the pit was closed, it would have been dark. Can you imagine sitting in cold, damp mud in the dark? 
and then you would hear it. The faint scratching of the animals trapped in the pit with you. Were they friendly? Were they so starving they might come for you? So you stay awake, afraid to fall asleep, because you might fall over and suffocate in the mud or be eaten by who knows what trapped in the pit with you. This was Jeremiah's fate. Stuck in the mud and in the dark, night after night. And every night he would cry out to God for help, for Yahweh to listen. Would he ever be rescued from this pit? Or is this his final fate? Is this where he's going to finally die in the dark? In his 60s, in a cold, damp prison of a cistern? Now the question you want to ask and I want to ask is, how did Jeremiah end up here? What did he do to end up in such a terrible place? Well, the thing he did was this. He obeyed God. He simply told the people what Yahweh was telling him to tell them. He simply obeyed God. And the price he paid for obedience was steep. See, remember that Jeremiah is God's prophet to the people of Judah. And he was called to prophesy to the last five Judean kings, but they all pretty much hated him. And the people of Judah hated him as well, because God was telling Jeremiah to preach and prophesy the disaster and the doom that was about to befall Jerusalem and Judah. And the average Judean did not want to hear Jeremiah's negative messages. They wanted to hear that Judah would win, be prosperous, and accomplish great things. But that was not what God told Jeremiah to prophesy. Instead, Yahweh wanted his people to understand the fate that awaited them if they did not repent. And that is the key. God offered them grace if they would repent. But as Jeremiah 37 verse 2 points out, the people and the officials did not listen to the words of Jeremiah and kept right on ignoring the grace that was being offered in favor of the cheap pleasures offered by the local deities they worshipped instead. And so Jeremiah and his scribe Baruch had to spend a lot of time in hiding. They had to hide in order not to be killed by the various kings of Judah who were out to end his life. But... Because Jeremiah was willing to speak out, to speak the truth of God to a culture that did not want to listen, sometimes the officials of a town or, or part of the government would seek to put him behind bars, to put him in prison. Sadly, prison in Jeremiah's day it was a terrible place. Often prisoners were placed in prisons and forgotten, never to be seen again. Jeremiah was placed in these terrible places on trumped-up charges, being accused of things that were not true. It was the height of injustice. One of the times was during the reign of King Zedekiah. At the time, Jerusalem was under siege from King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. You know, when were they not under siege from King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians? Well, this particular siege would go on for one and a half years. 
Now remember, during a siege, nothing is allowed to leave or enter the city. No food, no trade, and certainly not people. Well, during this siege, Jeremiah was out among the people, serving and preaching and ministering. When all of a sudden, the news spread throughout the city that the Babylonians had left. They had ceased their siege. You see, the Babylonians had heard that the Egyptians were moving north towards Jerusalem, so they left to take the Babylonians on in battle. So now what? Should the Judeans do anything? Should they move out to try to take control of the area and thus shut down the Babylonian invasion? King Zedekiah wanted to know, so he sent some of his officials to talk to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, at this time, was out among the people. He was preaching, he was serving, he was prophesying. So the officials found Jeremiah, and they asked him if he had a word from the Lord. And could he pray and seek an answer from the Lord as to what to do next? So Jeremiah prayed, and he sought an answer. And the answer came back. The Babylonians are coming back and they will burn the city. In fact, this outcome is so certain that God told him that even if the Babylonian army had nothing but sick men left to fight for them, that they would still win and burn the city. So Jeremiah tells this to the officials from King Zedekiah. And guess what? It was not well received. They didn't want to hear this news. Instead, they became angry against Jeremiah and his message. And they were going to get back at him. And soon, their chance was about to materialize. See, while the Babylonians were gone, people in the city of Jerusalem could now come and go from the city. So Jeremiah took this chance to leave and go to the land of Benjamin to buy some land that was his to buy, or maybe to take care of some land deal that he was trying to work out. So he started to walk towards the gate, and he started to begin to leave the city to deal with this issue. And he planned to return, all right? So just as he's about to leave, suddenly he's grabbed and stopped by a guard who accuses Jeremiah of trying to leave the city so he can defect to the Babylonians. Jeremiah explains that that was not what he was trying to do, but instead he's trying to go to the land of Benjamin and sort out this land deal, but the guard wouldn't listen, and he stood by his accusation, and then the guard drags him to those same officials who Jeremiah had spoken to earlier. And there the guard made the same accusation against Jeremiah, again, with no proof. Jeremiah is trying to defect to the Babylonians. Well, this was the chance the officials were looking for, and they agreed with the guard. And then they beat Jeremiah. They beat him for something that wasn't true. I can imagine they hit him in the face, in the stomach. They beat him with clubs, probably, over and over again. This was the height of injustice. And then, after beating him up, they throw him into prison. Now, this prison 
was basically a dungeon made from cisterns in the basement of the house of a man named Jonathan, who was a secretary to King Zedekiah. See, to be a secretary to a king back then, that was a huge level of importance. This guy named Jonathan was an important man in the court of King Zedekiah. Well, he had a prison in his basement, and Jeremiah was dumped into this prison and left to die. He was in the prison, it says in the Bible, for many days. Now, we don't know how long that was. It could have been a month or two months. And all I know, it was long enough that Jeremiah began to starve and began to suffer being left in this cold, terrible dungeon. But even though he was in prison, guess what? People still wanted to hear from Jeremiah. Why? Because he was God's spokesman. And when people wanted to know what God thought on a matter, they needed to hear from one person, and that was Jeremiah. So even though they shoved him away in a prison, they still needed to hear from him if they wanted to hear from God. So eventually, guess what? King Zedekiah needed to know what Yahweh's will was. So, he brought Jeremiah from the prison he was in, and he met with him. But he meets with him secretly. See, Zedekiah, he was afraid. Afraid of the officials and afraid of the people who didn't like Jeremiah and his negative messages. So he had to meet with him secretly to hear what was going to happen to Jerusalem and to Judah, lest those officials found out and probably beat him up. So he pulls Jeremiah out of prison, meets with him secretly, and he asks him, what was the word from the Lord? And the answer from Jeremiah was this, that Zedekiah was one day going to be handed over to King Nebuchadnezzar. Nothing had changed. You know, Jeremiah told the truth no matter what. He, he told the truth no matter the steep price he paid. He knew giving a negative message would probably mean he was going to be thrown back into prison. Well, Jeremiah... At this moment, as he's delivering the message to Zedekiah, he pleads for his life. Jeremiah asks Zedekiah, why was he still in prison? He could have been forgotten for days and maybe for even a whole year and, and nobody cared until Zedekiah pulled him out of prison to ask him about the word of the Lord. Well, Jeremiah is going to take his chance to try to make his case before the king and he asks him, why was he still in prison? What did he deserve to be put in prison for? And he pled with Zedekiah, please don't send me back there. Because if he did, Jeremiah knew he was going to die. Remember, in prison, you're pretty, not, you're pretty much not being fed. These places are, are also cold and damp, and somebody of Jeremiah's age, he's in his 50s probably at this point, is in this cold, damp place where he's getting no food. Essentially, a prison was a torture chamber for the poor guy. And Jeremiah knew that if he went back there, he wouldn't make it out alive. 
And so he pled for his life with Zedekiah. He pled to be released. And Zedekiah listened. And Zedekiah, I think he got bold for once. And he responded by agreeing with Jeremiah. And so Zedekiah pulls him out of Jonathan's prison and puts him in another prison, a friendlier prison, in the guard's courtyard. And, and there they gave him a loaf of bread to eat every day. That was it. But he at least got some food every day, a loaf of bread, until... The siege got bad enough that they ran out of bread completely in the city of Jerusalem, and so Jeremiah got nothing. Jeremiah was still miserable, but at least a little less miserable, a little less cold and damp, a little less hungry. Well, he's now in a prison in the guard's courtyard. Well, Jeremiah again, is faithful to his calling. And one of the benefits of being in prison in the guard's courtyard is the ability to talk and to preach and prophesy to others. See, Jeremiah, in this prison, he was able to preach to the guards, and he was able to preach to the people walking by. He was able to preach to the man running by trying to find stuff for his family. He was able to preach to the family walking by and, and, and trying to hide from the Babylonians. He was able to preach to that guard and that guard and that guard, and he preached and he preached and he preached and he prophesied. And he preached of the coming doom and disaster, and he preached the same message over and over again. Doom and disaster is coming unless you repent, Judah. Judah, repent, and there is grace. But if you don't, there is disaster coming. And soon, some of the officials began to tire of this message. And they began to worry about what this message was doing to the people. So they came to Zedekiah, and they began to complain and whine about the message Jeremiah was speaking. He's not saying nice things. He's saying negative things. They were worried that Jeremiah's message would begin to erode the morale of the warriors, of the men who had to go out and fight, and then just erode the morale generally of the people walking by. See, the people were in the middle of this same siege, and they're starving to death. And remember, they see the army of the Babylonians outside their city walls, surrounding the city walls every day, and they're scared enough already, the people are saying. We don't need to hear this Jeremiah tell us how bad things are going. But remember, Jeremiah's offering hope. He's offering grace if the people would repent, but they did not want to listen. And so these officials, on behalf of the people and other officials, corrupt as they are, they ask Zedekiah to lock Jeremiah up, to put Jeremiah far, far away so nobody can hear him anymore. Well, Zedekiah, being the strong leader, consistent, forthright, he said, no. No, that's a total lie. Zedekiah, being the weak-willed, flippy-floppy type leader, he said, you know what? I agree 
Now think about it. Zedekiah pulled him out of prison because he saw how he shouldn't have been put in that prison. And now, you know, how many months later he's saying, no, let's put him right back into a prison. You are right. His messages are too negative. Come on, Zedekiah. Well, these officials grab Jeremiah. They don't just put him in prison. They lower him into that cistern, into that pit I mentioned earlier. Now, these cisterns or pits, they were created or made to store water. So you could collect water during the rainy months to help the the people of Jerusalem to make it through the dry months. Now, these cisterns varied in size, with some they have found as deep as 120 feet. A typical cistern, though, was about 15 to 20 feet deep, and it had a mouth or an entrance to the cistern on the ground, right, about two feet across. And also, it's interesting, most of these cisterns were built in the shape of a bottle. And then inside the walls would be plastered with some type of plaster to, to, to keep it, you know, watertight. Well, Jeremiah is dropped into one of these cisterns. These officials took a rope, wrapped it around him, and dropped him into this dark, dank, wet cistern. This place is scary. I mean, who likes the dark? And also, it's full of mud that Jeremiah began to sink into. Can you imagine how cold and scary this place must have been? And then have people throw huge rocks and stones at him in the hopes of hurting him. What a miserable, frightening experience. How was he going to get out of this? Was this the prison in which he was going to finally die? Well, God, he's not done with Jeremiah yet. Even in this dark moment for Jeremiah, God was still moving. And God was moving in the heart of a foreign official. Not an official from Judah, but a foreign official named Ebed-Melech. And he was from the land of Ethiopia or northern Egypt. And he wasn't from Judah. And maybe he saw the people chucking rocks down at him. Or maybe he walked over and looked down and saw the sad scene of Jeremiah in the mud up to his waist and cold and frightened. Or or maybe he just heard about this prophet in this terrible cistern and, and his heart went out to him. Either way, Ebed-Melech, he goes to the king and he pleads for Jeremiah's life. There's no story here that Ebed-Melech knew Jeremiah. I think he just saw this terrible injustice that was occurring and he felt like he had to do something. Now, Ebed-Melech must have had some influence with the king to get up to the very throne room of King Zedekiah. He must have had some influence and some power. And so he goes up to King Zedekiah and he pleads for the life of Jeremiah. And King Zedekiah says, no, I made a decision and I'm going to stick by it. No, no. Flip-floppy King Zedekiah 
he listens. And he agrees. This isn't right. Jeremiah needs to be pulled out of the pit. So Abed-Melech takes 30 men. 30 men. That's a lot. And then he finds cloths and gets those and he brings them with him along with a robe. Can you imagine? Jeremiah is shivering in the cold, stuck in the mud. I wonder if he thought, where are you, God? Does he see my situation? Does he even care? And then he hears the lid of the cistern being pushed to the side. And Jeremiah thinks, oh no, is this more people ready to chuck down rocks at me? Please, God, no more, no more. I can't handle any of this. And then he hears, Jeremiah, Jeremiah. I'm here to rescue you. My name is Ebed Melech. A rope is lowered. And then these cloths, they're dropped down into the pit. Hey, Jeremiah, put these cloths under your armpit and then put the rope under your armpits. So he takes some of the cloth and he puts it under his right armpit. And then he takes some of the cloths and put it under his left armpit. Then he takes the rope, you know, it's probably in a big, big, two big loops. And he sort of hangs on it. I mean, what care? Ebed Melech took better care of Jeremiah than his own people. Man, the care that Ebed Melech took to pull Jeremiah out of the pit was in direct contrast to the way he'd been so mercilessly treated by Zedekiah and his officials. Later on, God says in Jeremiah chapter 39, verses 16 through 18, because of Ebed Melech's care for Jeremiah, that Ebed-Melech would be saved from the wrath about to befall Judah. It says, go tell Ebed-Melech the Cushite, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says. I'm about to fulfill my words for disaster, not for good against the city. They will take place before your eyes on that day, but I will rescue you on this day. This is the Lord's declaration, and you will not be handed over to the men you dread. Indeed, I will certainly deliver you so that you do not fall by the sword. Because you have trusted in me, you will retain your life like the spoils of war. This is the Lord's declaration. And they pull on those ropes, and they pull those 30 men, and they slowly pull Jeremiah out of the pit and... Whew, he could see daylight again, no more mud, and they probably give him the little bit of food they have left. Jeremiah is rescued. Now, I don't know what caused Eben Melech to do this. I do know this. It was God. And I think sometimes when we are at our lowest moment, when we are in the bottom of the pit, we have reached maybe our last straw, maybe something in your life. You you feel like, I am at the bottom of the pit, and I'm so low, I can't even reach the last rope, you know, and I, I can't do any more. Life's too hard. This is terrible. I can't go on, and you feel that way. I want to encourage you, think of Jeremiah. He must have felt like, this is it. I can't handle this anymore. How many days was he in that pit? And for something he didn't deserve. 
And he's just trusting the Lord and doing right and obeying him and doing what God has called him to do. But yet he suffers anyway. Is that fair? You know, that's a theme throughout scripture, right? Why do the righteous suffer? That's what the book of Job is all about. Why do bad things happen to good people? Church history is full of stories of saints who have been martyred for following Jesus, for speaking out and saying, this is corrupt, this is wrong, we shouldn't do it. Or I'm going to tell you about the love of Jesus despite what my government says I can or cannot say. And today there are people who continue to preach and teach and talk about Jesus in countries where it could cost them their very lives. And yet they still obey like Jeremiah, he could have quit preaching. He just could have sat there silently with the guards in prison and said nothing, but he couldn't stop. He had to preach. He had to obey. And Jeremiah paid a steep, steep price for his obedience. And I wonder if at this point, in the middle of that pit, he felt like all was lost, and what's the point? Then he saw that rope. Then he heard the voice of Ebed Melech. Then he knew God was still moving. Don't give up hope. Don't look at the circumstances. God is still moving. The circumstances look dark and full of despair, but behind it... God is still moving. There is hope. The next time you feel like you are in the bottom of the pit, at the end of your rope, there is nothing else you can do, and you are about to give up. I want you to think of the story of Jeremiah and to remember, God is still moving. There is still hope. As the old hymn says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.